Welcome to the Dialogue Out Loud podcast, where we meet some of our fiction contributors. Um, I'm Jennifer Quist, the fiction editor. With me tonight is author Lee Robinson, who contributed No More Sister Than St. Nick to our fall edition. Um, Robinson lives with his wife and his cat in Montana, a couple of river valleys and mountain ranges west of the Paradise. He is a retired civil servant who continues with civility to write poetry and short stories. Lee's writing has appeared in Dialogue, um, let me see, Poetry Journal, River, okay, all right. What <laughs> more information there? Has appeared in Dialogue previously and in other print and online journals. His collection of poems entitled Pap was published by David Robert Books in 2019. I did not know you had a collection out. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, welcome and thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Um, and congratulations on the story. I think it turned out really nicely. I do, and, and I uh, thank you. You helped me with that a bit. Thank you. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> And I, I'm always happy to work with a story that I really want to include that has um, some promise. Um, it's, it's great to have it. Um, so uh, can you just introduce it for us? Um, don't spoil it or anything, because we want people to, to go in and look it up. I've had people tell their whole story again. Uh, no need for that. Um, um, but yeah, introduce it, maybe tantalize us with it a little bit. Tell us about this story. This story... Uh, I've always been a person who is um, interested in and concerned about how we view um, our wives, our, our uh, daughters, our mothers. And uh, I've always been concerned that there are people in the church and elsewhere who use um, the power that they are given as a means of bullying other people. And so I've written this story sort of as an after the fact. Uh, Bernie is a, a member of the church who um, is going, has gone through a rather difficult divorce. Um, and uh, he's also in the moment concerned about a, a problem that he has, which is that uh, he's not been asked to read um, uh, or read for the Christmas program, uh, the, the, the church, the, well, the ward Christmas program. And so he's on his way to church, and a part, of his, uh, a part of what he wants to do is make sure the bishop understands that he needs to have a script of the program in hand so that he can, knows what to do. And... Uh, the story progresses from there. Um, I don't know. Uh, basically, he's, he's told that somebody else is going to do it, and he kind of loses his goal, decides he's going to quit the church, uh, repents of that, and uh, the story goes on from there. Yeah, it's um, kind of like you get to watch this um, very in entitled character kind of lose his grasp on all his entitlements within this Exactly. That's a very long story, but then a short story. Yeah, and um, kind of hits everything that's important to him at this moment of Christmas. I mean, we don't really do like the the Hallmark holiday thing here at um, Dialogue, but uh, yeah, it's kind of nice we have a Christmas story in our repertoire again. Um, 
but everything kind of comes to a head at Christmas for him. Um, go ahead and give a, f- a few details about um, the conflict season, what he's trying to hold on to and who he loses it to. Um, as I said, uh, he's going through a divorce. Um, he um, is angry because uh, a fellow ward member has basically acted as the attorney for his wife. Um, she um, is actually the person that the bishop has asked to read or lead the uh, program by reading Luke and introducing all of the uh, uh, church members, church groups, as they're, they come up to sing or recite. And so he's a little bit perturbed by this. Um, he's lost both his poem here and uh, his, his reading and his... Uh, and his uh, marriage, and uh, he's uh, a little focused, unfocused on that. In addition to that, uh, he thinks of himself as a, a poet, specifically a cowboy poet, and he's, um, well, he spends a lot of time uh, in the early part of the story uh, trying to revise a poem during sacrament meeting. And, uh, you know, I can't, I don't know how to tell the story other than that. Uh, I'm mean, told it so well in the writing of it. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's not right. really fair for me to ask for a second go, but but he loses about everything um, um, except the poem, and and that's. Um, mm-hmm. But how he loses it is a part of the story too. <laughs> Doesn't lose. Yeah, and I think. It's not saying too much, especially with the way you've introduced it, to say that um, the ground he has to give way, he has to give to women in the story. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, you know, he's, he's in a divorce, uh, a divorce which is con- contrary to all that he has in his life understood to be a part of what he believes and uh, how he lives. And then it's a woman uh, uh, who had, who helps his wife in the divorce. Uh, he's accosted by a, uh, a. Well, the bishop wants to make amends, so he um, calls Bernie and says, "We're going to read your poem as a part of the program on on Sunday, and uh, if it's okay with you." And uh, before Bernie can volunteer to do it. The bishop says, well, we're going to have one of the young women in the ward read it. And she is uh, somewhat of a rebel, um, blue hair, um, piercings, et cetera, et cetera. And this doesn't sit well with Bernie either. So um, he has to get to the bishop and tell him or ask him, confront him with the necessity of Bernie reading his, his poem to salvage at least a little bit of his um, self-respect, I guess you'd say. Um, so he goes to um, he goes to a, a school program where he expects to run into the bishop, and um, things go downhill from there. He runs in. He uh, is somewhat forced to sit next to the divorce lawyer. Um, she tells him she had nothing to do with his wife's decision to leave. Um, 
steals that uh, anger from him. And then uh, he's accosted by the young woman who is going to read his poem. And she tells him she can't do it because she can't do something she's not interested in. So he loses that. He loses that sense of uh, value that he believes his poetry has. And um, I guess I've told this story, but not as well as I wrote it. <laughs> That's all right. Daniel, when you're editing, you can take out whatever that you think yeah, you want to leave for, for people to discover. Uh, or leave it all in. I think it's fine too. It's it's still a good read, even, even if you know exactly where it's going. And I don't know, perhaps because I am the blue-haired girl of dialogue fiction, <laughs> I kind of knew where it was going. And I don't know if you're prepared to answer this, but can you talk to me about the character of Cash Danders? Uh-huh. Do you remember? Yeah, what, what do you, what do you, what's he doing what, in this story? I like introduce him and and tell us what you see him doing in the story. Like uh, as the author, Cash, why is he there? The Cash is a well grounded uh, member of the church. He happens to be, have been married. I believe I have him married four times. He's seventy two yeah, years old. Bernie tells us that we don't know if we can trust Bernie on that because he's exaggerating a lot. So. Four is the number we're given by the narrator. Yeah, right. Four is the number we're given by the narrator, but it, it's definitely not just one. I mean, Bernie's smart enough mm -hmm. to know that. Um, Cash is kind of the solid um, uh, guide in this story, but Bernie never listens to him. Um, he's the person who uh, has had is. We don't know this, but I, in my mind, he's had a solid, good, good life, good marriages. Um, a woman, another woman, wants to live with him. Um, Verdi tells him some of his problems one day, and Cash basically says, "So what? Grow up." And Verdi doesn't hear that and uh, goes on with his uh, with with the way he is. Um, he's also at the end of the story as Verdi is leaning the uh the school affair and uh the school program school christmas program and um he he's standing with a crowd and instead of going up and saying hi cash how are you bernie just leaves because he's feeling so um isolated from everything that's going through the people around him including cash he thinks Cash is laughing at him, and uh, I don't know. I don't think he is, but uh, Bernie thinks he is, and it's that sense of paranoia. I think I think people who um, it's very easy when we are um, losing things like that to feel that, that the world is turned against us. Um, certainly because the bishop has asked somebody else to read his poem, has asked somebody else to narrate the Christmas program, um, because a young woman has to said she is not interested in his poem. Um, there's, his alienation starts to build, and instead of trying to confront that, as I think you should, 
he basically walks out and won't even go talk to his good friend. Um, mm -hmm. Let me tell you why I'm asking. Canonically, in your story, Cash is, I believe, a dialogue contributor. Is he not? Like, um, Vernie describes Cash as having um, had something published in that morbid hippie magazine. <laughs> is is well, that you, that? That was key. <laughs> like, way back then. <laughs> because I had dialogue uh, or Sunstone or one of them uh, in there mm -hmm. at the time. But yes, uh, there's, there's a, he's, he's a, what do you call it when a person plays off the other? He's a foil because yeah, he's someone that's who is, exactly what I thought. Good. Yeah, he's someone who is, who is actually interested in uh, uh, poetry. Uh, there's a conversation in which uh, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a scene in which Catch and uh, Vernie are part of a uh, work group. And mm -hmm. uh, they both basically politely praise each other's poem. But it's obvious from Cash's point of view, Cash's, Cash's comments, that he is actually trying to encourage Verdi to think a little bit about how the language works rather than just trying to produce words for sound and, and emotion. Um, it's not a big part of the story, but it's something I, I love to talk about. So I did. <laughs> Well, can I read, um, you put in a line of, uh, a stanza of poetry that Vernie has written right at the beginning, so we, we get the idea, the kind of thing that he's uh, producing. Um, I'm just going to scroll on up here and read it right into the screen. So okay. this is from uh, uh, Vernie's favorite poem um, about, what's, what's it titled again, Lee? It's called... Uh, have a look and see here. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the title is in the story, but it's about um, a bunch of cowboys coming to watch over the baby Jesus. Right. Um, so, so here's from what Vernie remembers as he thinks back on his achievements with pride. This is the stanza. As shepherds, sheep, and wise men came, sentinel the old boy stood, shielding the holy babe and dame, Pistols ready under Stetson Hood. And that's the stanza, which is just marvelous in its way. <laughs> um, and this is all coming together in a strange way for me um, in our publication. Um, this is how I read it. Cash and Bernie are kind of two sides of the same creative force. Um, they're the one that has a voice, the one that gets a voice. And um, this Western rustic, whether it's, you know, very overblown and affected, like Fernie's version of it, or um, very earnest and um, has an audience in, in some of the, the major venues, like Cash's, uh, it seems like there's a changing of the guard lately. Um, and the, the things that used to be thought of as Mormon fiction um kind of the the literary cowboy stuff mm -hmm. um we don't really have people filling um that niche anymore 
it seems like writing is is changing and not just into science fiction but also into um realism that just has different voices in it uh and and i think that this story especially that 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 bit of poetry there with the the guard of people around jesus and mary at the nativity it feels like that guard is changing and you can see that, you know, passing in a, a serene, just rewriting our symbols and our imagery. And then you see just how painful that can be for a voice like Vernie's, which associated itself with that, you know, right. it's not, Vernie's not our contributor. But in, he might have had a, a side to everyone who was that was a little bit like that. And so the same entitlements might be slipping away uh, from that voice at the same time, which is really interesting to me. Um, anyway, that's my a major reason why this story appealed to me because it seemed oh, like, well. yeah, like we were always writing about this man, and now we get to see like his very weirdest and worst impulses in the character of Vernie suddenly having a voice in all of this. So, right. Yeah. Thank um, you, Ed. I loved it. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring that up. I don't know if I, but uh, I I belong to a, an uh, an arts and cultural program here in uh, southwestern Montana, and uh, we had a uh, cowboy poetry evening, and I turned around to try to get somebody to come participate, and. They'd say, no, you know, I got bucked off uh, two years ago and I've kind of given up on that. Or uh, uh, one man uh, was really reluctant because his wife is going through dementia and I couldn't find many people and no young people. Everybody there was my age or, or slightly young. And um, in a way, there is a changing of the guard that in, uh, in that context. And it may be happen happening in the world of literature as well. I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's so much going on on the net that is so temporary because it vanishes um, almost before you see it. Um, it, it you scroll, you're scrolling on a, on a, um, I, I, I had a blog for a while and uh, if I published every day by the, t by the, in two weeks, whatever I had written was gone. And if somebody wasn't looking for that specific thing, they'd never find it. It's not like a book. I can pick it up and shuffle through it and find something. Um, I love working on the net, but I don't think it brings a person as close to the audience as a book does, as a magazine, for example. Um, did I get off the subject there? No, that's fine. That's fine. And I, I appreciate um, the fact that one of the reasons that this guard is changing is because nobody nobody stays here to guard forever and nothing takes your entitlements nope. away like old age and death, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and we have had um, recently some of these people who were, were paragons of these um, early um, dialogue voices, uh, the, the Mormon literature as it started to you know, become literarily and academically aware of itself in the in the late twentieth century. Those people aren't with us anymore. I know. Yeah. Well, 
and and they're not just being replaced by their clones in another generation. There really is a rolling over and a change going on in, in Mormon literature, I feel right now. And I just seeing Bernie coming to terms with it, it's comical. Like it's a funny story. Everybody read the story. It's 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 a bittersweet kind of black comedy almost. Um but it's very poignant at the same time because none of this power was meant to stay in one place. And uh, you know, as you as you introduced it, maybe it never should have been there in the first place, but uh, it was, and it and it's it's passing. And so, you know, a little sobering edge on this very funny story. Well, thank you for uh, saying that. Um, well, I can't remember what you said. That I. Uh, Sorry. No, it's okay. Four glasses today. My mouth is just kind of running. No, I just appreciate uh, that um, you see the story as somewhat of a comical because it is, and somewhat as bittersweet, and it is. Uh, I wanted. I didn't want to make Vernie a flat character. I think he is a little bit flat, but I didn't want that. I wanted him. I wanted people to say. Well, that old guy going out the door, I really kind of, I sympathize with him. You know, he's he's carrying this, uh, he's taking with him one valuable thing, but he's lost so much. I don't know if that works, but that's one of the things I was working toward. Uh, and so I appreciate you kind of bringing that up. I think he's recognizable. I think that people can probably think of the wards they've been in and like, yeah, that guy, yeah, like he's... He's, he's around. He's not just something I, I made up out of, you know, the history of right. Mormon literature. And this is a, this right. is also a real person. And, and we, we often experience our fellow ward members as flat characters. We do. We do. In fact, the, um, Cash's wife, when she gets up to speak, I took a, a person that I know, oh, that does that, and I just flattened her, you know, because... I didn't have much time, so I did that. Yeah, yeah well, see, me, we can... I'm a weeper. I'm a. I'm one of those women weepers. <laughs> oh, we, uh, we, we have a woman. She cannot say a prayer without just bawling. Almost, it, it's. Oh no. Yeah, it's. And she was the branch president's wife. Uh, he's been released since, but. Uh, and she's a lovely person, but you know, there are people that. that yeah, it, it it all depends on the the hormone roller coaster, and I can yep. say that I wouldn't I wouldn't say that as as any other gender, but um yeah, <laughs> that, that is kind of how it goes. Yeah, and 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 through all this, um, uh, Verdi thinks he knows women quite well. He thinks he understands them. Right. He's able to to play their emotions with his poetry. He finds a very responsive and, and generous audience, but uh when he doesn't value. Um, do you have anything to add about, about that? Why would Bernie think he knows women? Oh, well, uh, um, you know, there's there, there's a sensibility in that verse that you read from his poem that mm -hmm. have, it's sentimental and it's very, um, very heart-grabbing, I guess you could say. And there are people that respond to that. And um, and as a writer, one of the things I've 
I once said to Douglas Thayer, there's something about writing is it's, it's got, you've got to be a little bit sentimental. And he sneered at me. No, mm. but I didn't know what sentimentality was at the time. I was a young, young whippersnapper. And um, he's, he's right. You know, as a writer, you have to find the facts that show the things that you're trying to say. You can't assert uh, wild things. And Verney's the kind that does that. He writes poems to draw people to him. Um, he writes things that will make people sigh and sigh. moan. Yeah. You know, he does have his, his moment of triumph with the young woman, the teenager who does not want to read his poetry in the program. She recites back to him two lines from the poem that she's declining to read. And she does it sneering. She does it to show, like, isn't this self-evidently ridiculous and sentimental? Right. And he takes this satisfaction that even though she is, you know, expressing disdain and distaste for it, he's remembered. Still knows it. She yeah. still knows it. She can still right. explain exactly. it to him. And oh, this is just so being a woman <laughs> like well done lee that that yeah yeah oh i know what's wrong with them i know they're ridiculous and i still know all their names and i still know their work because that's just what i have to do and they've got no idea about me none at all yeah so yeah well done well done there were some great moments in this i i really enjoyed it thank you for your your hard work on it Anything you want to add to kind of take us out before I sign off? Or? I was thinking, uh, you know, I told you that I wrote something up. And at the end of it, I wrote a little paragraph saying that one thing I'd like to deal with in the future, uh, because I was, you know, when I was writing, I was talking about uh, um, um, gender and the, 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 our range of gender possibilities and i said i'd like to someday and i think i might i'm telling you this so i might do it uh write a story about uh, uh, a where a bishop is confronted with and has to face um a world completely different than what he's used to um a gay man a young youth comes into him is just distraught because he cannot fathom uh where he is coming to understand his own sexuality which is in in uh conflict with what uh, people around him are saying um um i don't know if i want this bishop to be that familiar with what the church says um but i want to understand how he would approach that how he would see um help or fail to help this young man uh, come to terms with who he is. Well, just don't kill him off. Don't kill him off. <laughs> no, I won't. No. Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to that submission. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Lee Robinson. Um, that's uh, all for Dialogue Out Loud for tonight. Thank you very much. I'm Jennifer Quist. Goodbye.
Greetings, my name is Rebecca Deschweinitz and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit DialogueJournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons. Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.